Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. It took me a minute to realize, like, the hell is he doing? Why is he saying we? Oh, I got it. Yeah, because uh, uh, last week I did another solo journal. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Catch me up. What what what'd you talk about? That would be <laughs> to be the nervous. Um, uh, and I did note that, like, maybe people who like. Um, downloaded the podcast or, or, or whatever right away saw that or it was maybe no maybe it wasn't in the i can't remember if it was in the podcast description on the website when i was like writing the description i did out of habit write tyler and david discussed oh, the movies they've been watching yeah. and i had to go back and yeah i think it was just on the website that i did that and i had to yeah. go back and, and and change it um but uh now you're back i am um you won't be back on the journal for a while at this point I guess that's true. Not yeah, till after Comic-Con. a little early. That's right. That's yeah, right. Yeah, we're doing this. So okay. after Comic-Con is the next time you will be right. on the on the journal. I'll try and see as much stuff as I can. Yeah. As always. Um, so. Although but, I guess by then I will, I'll be teaching again. I'm teaching a, that uh, a study tour program. They've started it up again, thankfully. Oh. So I'm excited to do that. Those ragamuffins? Those ragamuffins? <laughs> I don't know. Snappers. I don't know what, uh, what ragamuffin is uh, in Italian. But I'll have to ask them. <laughs> um, all right. Well, uh, what have you been watching? So uh, some of this is stuff that I, I just I assume you've been talking about because I know that it's stuff that you've seen. Um, so we'll lead off with uh, boy. See, this is this is uh, how you know that the auteur theory isn't always 100 uh, percent accurate. OK, Joseph Kaczynski's Top Gun Maverick. The real auteur of that movie is obviously Tom Cruise. Um, <laughs> I see what you're saying, but I mean, if you've seen Joseph Kaczynski's right, movies, yes, like, yes. there's Which a I, lot of I don't him, think I have, yeah. Especially um, the opening sequence of Top Gun Maverick, which, mm -hmm. is, which is beautiful. The uh, test flight sequence yeah. is, like, that, that's very Joseph Kaczynski. I don't mean, to, I don't mean to, to bash him. I don't mean to say that he's like a, a bad director or a nondescript director or anything like that. It's more just like... Tom Cruise has so much control over yeah. his projects that yeah. he picks his directors and they do what he says. But they're also very capable, uh, as we've seen from some of the uh, Mission Impossible films. But uh, so, yeah, so Top Gun Maverick. Um, yeah, I and mean, I think he picks good directors. Yes. I don't think he is the type of actor who picks directors he knows he can, like, what's what I'm looking for? Kick around? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, push around, whatever. Yeah. Like, I think Tom Cruise is very serious about wanting his movies to be good. And so he picks directors yes. that he works well with, but also directors that he thinks are are good. And so there's a reason it's... Yeah. Like, and then he in, doesn't get nobodies to direct these movies. It's Christian right. McQuarrie and Brad Bird. And right. Jeff Kaczynski has obviously handled um, some big uh, movies in the past, including at least one Tom Cruise movie, Oblivion, which right. I like. Which I actually have not seen. It looked good to me, but I never saw it. Um, yeah, so uh, so here's the thing. This happens every once in a while. There will be a movie that comes out that I don't particularly enjoy, and I'm absolutely willing to say, it's just me. I didn't like the first Top Gun. I didn't like it when I was a kid. I didn't like it when I was an adult. This movie, like... The thing that everybody is is saying is is so great about it is that like it evokes the first Top Gun so so much, and it's like it sure does. In so far as like I'm glad it just we're back strikes to doing a, these journals together. Okay, because they re, they get me out of my bubble because okay, 
you when we talk about the same movies, your frame of reference about what the conversation is is often oh interesting drastically different than okay. than than mine. Um, so I, I just like uh, I'm I'm glad to get that point of view, but that's not evoking the first one is not anything that I've really heard people. That might dwell. not be the right uh, tonal extension of the first one, maybe uh, like uh, continuation. That it's not doing something drastically different, as opposed to like when you watch like some of these legacy sequels, like. You know, a movie that I'll be talking about later, which will be Jurassic World Dominion. I recently rewatched Jurassic Park, as I often do. Mm-hmm. You watch that, and you watch Jurassic World Dominion, and you're like, these do not exist in the same universe. Whereas Top Gun Maverick and the first Top Gun, they do they they do feel similar. Like, that is definitely something that Kaczynski is trying to do. Uh, and I think successfully, the problem is that I didn't respond, I don't respond to this story i don't respond to these emotional beats there's nothing objectively wrong with them it's just not for me like i can i can respect uh and appreciate like the high flying sequences and i know how difficult they were and i know what goes into them and yet i felt almost nothing that's so the val kilmer so scene i felt something there but that was because of real life stuff but just the the mechanics mechanics of the action movie part of it that's what i like sure. to me that's the thing about top gun maverick that i think i said on my own on the journal last week is that like every time they're in the air the movie's amazing and the movie never lets itself go too sure. long without getting them into the air for it to get too boring because <laughs> i do think like the all the jennifer Connelly stuff is boring um i didn't care about any yeah. of that i did uh, did you did you rewatch Top Gun? <laughs> no, but I know that her character's like referenced. Yeah, in, I in rewatched that one. it the night before. Yeah. Which, so like the only benefit it gave me was like, oh, that's the who they were talking about. Yeah. Like when she showed up, I was like, I know who that is. I'm a Top Gun. But I also don't like Top Gun. I liked it as a kid. I I don't like it now. But I think what you're talking about the thing that I can find common ground with what you're talking about the 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 like evoking or maintaining the spirit. Mm-hmm. To me it's not specifically the spirit of top gun it's the spirit of a sort of like pre like i guess mcu pre john favreau pre joss whedon version of big budget action making where action filmmaking where the characters aren't above it all the characters are not like commenting ironically there's not an attachment you know like there's a part like one of the biggest laughs in the movie is from for me is from Miles Teller and it's not that it's a joke it's that like an enemy plane pulls this crazy maneuver and Miles Teller just goes holy shit what the fuck was that and just like there's something so earnest about that reaction as yes. opposed to him like yes. doing like a Captain America or like Poe Dameron like yes. comment on it you know um, I think I think that that's is, what that people are responding to, not yes. specifically Top Gun but that it feels like it's not trying to be the uh, post ironic uh, I, w- I would definitely agree with that. And and that is definitely, we've we've talked about it on here before. It's something that I have grown tired of. There's there's still a way to do it, just like everything. There's still a way to do it well. But I think most movies just do it by default. Uh, and they don't put any thought into doing it well. Yeah. Uh, and so, like, the idea of a movie like this, which um, it's just big and, and broad and it's not particularly deep. And that there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That is not a slight. Uh it just is not it just doesn't push any of my buttons like all of the all of the 
pleasure buttons that it pushes are purely like intellectual. I can appreciate how difficult it must have been to make this. And I am impressed by it, but I am not engaged by it. And the issue is completely mine. It just doesn't. I don't think there's anything wrong with the movie. It just, it's not my kind of movie. Um, are you generally not like a big action guy? Like, I mean, I guess that's the thing is I felt I described this last week on the, on the journal that like for the last like 40 minutes of the movie, me and my chair made a triangle. There was the back of the chair, there was the seat and there was me so (laughs) stiff with tension that I was just like, you know, bridging the edge of the seat and the top of the back of the chair, just like as pure action filmmaking especially like you said on that scale yeah i found it overwhelmingly beautiful and also very clear too. yes like i always knew what order the planes were in and yeah. who was in what plane and which planes were quote unquote our planes which planes are their planes yeah if we get into the uh politics yeah, of the movie probably it, not a good yeah idea. it gets a little dicey but and i th- yeah and it's i do like action movies like when i think especially kind of from that era or maybe a few years later i love speed i love yeah. the fugitive um, speed being like a, to me like a, a top five action movie of all time and speed feels a little bit like that it might be a little bit more conventional insofar as like having a certain type of villain and that yeah. sort of thing but yeah I'm not opposed to it but for whatever reason the world of Top Gun I think also look I'm not at all opposed to the military and uh, and and, uh, and movies about the military and there are people who are like oh this is very pro military it's like I don't give a shit um, even if that's what it is I don't actually care but whatever for whatever reason just like that kind of there tends to be almost a sort of shorthand when you're dealing with characters that are in the military it's just sort of assuming that we will bring a weight to it and understandably so but for whatever reason I it's in a way it's almost I, this is strange it's it's almost like Passion of the Christ. Now there are some genuine things that are that are uh, off-putting about Passion of the Christ, but it's Mel Gibson, which is like big picture filmmaking, big mm-hmm. and broad. Uh, of course, a lot of a lot of my fellow Christians are like, oh my gosh, I loved it so much, and I was like, yeah, no, I I appreciate it absolutely. I went to see it and I felt nothing, and they're like, how could you feel nothing? Like you're a Christian. It's like I know, weird, right? <laughs> it's like I like any time a film just sort of assumes the connection and then doesn't necessarily. And this, I might be, I, it assumes the connection and doesn't do, in my view, the legwork to create that connection. I tend to not have mm. a, I, I tend not to connect. Yeah. I, I like Jesus when I see Passion of Christ feels like a stranger to me. And similarly here, it's like, okay, they all seem to be operating on this wavelength and they don't seem to be putting in the work to get me on that wavelength. And nobody else seems to be bothered by that. And maybe rightfully so. Maybe it's just for whatever reason. It just I was always at arm's length from it. And I, I don't. I don't know. It's I don't disagree with anything you're saying. I think it just has to do with like the sliding scale of what you appreciate about the yeah. movie and, and, and the action stuff was all worth it to me for that. Because that what you describe that phenomenon of just like introducing a character and assuming that you yeah uh, the audience is already going to feel a certain way uh, about about them yeah that bothers me uh too and it's a big part of why i didn't like the passion of the christ but uh the passion of the christ didn't 
have F-18s. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, you know what? Maybe if this had Jesus yeah. and that had F-18s, we would be talking about our favorite movies of those respective years. Yeah. Um, um, so, yeah. So, I had Top more Gun Maverick, I, gonna... I, I, the, I, I'll take the hit on this one. Yeah. It's, the issue's me. Uh, but, man, rewatching Top Gun... I didn't talk about this because I didn't like not really counting Top Gun as a mm-hmm. watch for the journal because I it was like preparation. If it's been, if it's been years though, like but it I was feel preparation, like... so I'm talking about I it. I see. Yeah. I see. Uh, rewatching Top Gun, it reminds me of something. I can't remember if it was Trey. It's usually Trey Parker. He's the more vocal of the two, mm-hmm. right? For sure. When they were talking about Team America and like talking about what they wanted to lampoon about, like the the Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson type of mm-hmm. movies, they were talking about like how often the the heroes in that the movie like they are introduced 100 percent sure that they're the shit and then something <laughs> yeah. happens that makes them go wait am i not the shit and then by the end of the movie it's like they're 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 like resolution is like no i'm the shit yeah and like top gun <laughs> follows that oh 100 so, i mean and this is this is a cliche at this point but i, I I'll, I'll mention it because i like i said i haven't seen the movie in 25 30 years um but a lot of people have pointed out that, like, when I watched Top Gun as a kid, I hated Iceman so much. Right. When I watch it now, like, Iceman is the voice of reason. He is the responsible. Like, oh, yeah. nothing he says is villainous. He yeah. just wants Maverick to be responsible yeah. and to care about the lives of his, uh, like, other team members or whatever. Yeah. It's He's not, like... The, he's not like undercutting or devious and, and you know he's not selfish in the way that hangman is a little yeah. bit in in top gun maverick like i was 100 percent team Iceman when i rewatched the movie yeah it's uh, one thing that that I, a thought i did have and i was happy to see that other people on twitter though even, even those people they they liked it more we it's like i think maybe the big conclusion here is uh yeah we should just use drones I think drones are fine. <laughs> I think they would really have accomplished this a lot easier. <clears throat> but I know that's not the point. The point is very hands-on and, you know, let's uh, let's not let go of the uh, the human element quite so easily. Yeah. Um, man, also, but we should move on to other movies, but also rewatching Top Gun. Like, uh, Anthony Edwards was in Revenge of the Nerds, mm. where he was a nerd. Mm. And then he was in Top Gun. Where he was a cool guy, and then his career clearly chose one of those and not the other. Yeah. He, like, you know, like I've always loved Anthony Edwards as an actor. I love him in Zodiac. I loved him on sure. ER. Um, uh, but it's weird how he never really played like a cool guy again. After. Even Goose is kind of a nerd cool guy though, because he's the family man yeah. or whatever. But yeah, he's like he's still like. Oh, his name's Goose. His name's Goose. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Let's move on to my first movie. Okay. Um, uh, first of two African movies in a, in a row that I that I watched. I watched 1968's Mandabi, directed by Usman Sembene. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's how you say it, um, but it was the um, uh, it's a Senegalese movie, and it was the first movie that was shot in the language that uh, they speak in this part oh, of okay. uh, the, the country. I I think. Um, Wolof is, is I can't remember the name of the the language uh, exactly, but um, this is a terrific movie. It reminded me. It's a very different story, but it reminded me of Upton Sinclair's The Jungle, which mm. is like using one man's story as a parable for multiple things that sure. are wrong with a society. And so basically, you've got this guy. He has a nephew who has moved to Paris and is making money, and he his nephew sends him a money order. 
for 25,000 francs, which I don't know how much money that is in 1968 right. uh, in Senegal, but um, uh, it's enough that people are, word immediately gets out that this guy has gotten the morning order. And so before he can even like cash it, people are coming at him from all sides. No. He's, you know, making promises. Then there are bureaucratic reasons that he is delayed in trying to cash it and he ends up having to go through some sort of like you, you know uh, uh, connections you know who you know like there's there's a corruption there and so it's just like the, this guy's life is completely changed mostly in ways that are bad by not even getting money getting a piece of paper that says he's supposed to get money and uh, it, it manages to explore various um, levels of basically poverty in 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 this town and the ways that um poverty makes people uh uh, can make people small-minded or self-centered or avaricious and then also poverty breeds crime and corruption so like the few people who do have are more in a in a position to take more advantage of the have-nots because they need them you know right. they, and, and uh, uh but it's also like often a surprisingly funny movie at the same time in this sort of like slice of life depiction of this like town and in the in in the way that um uh people interact and the way they ask for favors and the way that they talk to one another he also has like um he has two wives which is like not at all commented on in the movie i guess sure. it's just like uh something that can happen in that okay. uh t- time and place uh but uh yeah really fantastic in terms of how it makes various arguments but also never seems like dry never seems like a polemic never seems strident it's 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 also very Mm. like like earthy and naturalistic and human at the same time and it's all over in you know 90 something minutes it's Mm. uh uh fantastically um economical and yet very uh big statement type of movie now you said this is the f- the the first of two African films that you yes, watched. Yes. Um, out of curiosity, like what prompted that? Uh, anything in particular? N- no, um, I have a stack of unwatched Criterion Blu-rays. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and I guess they I happened to get these at the. Uh, hey, if you want to throw any my way, I'd uh, be happy to uh, take a look at them and um, uh, review them, and then uh, you know. Oh, these are probably too old for review. I don't oh, think right. these are these are just like things that I have. Oh, that's too bad. Um, yeah. Okay, so I watched this. Okay, I don't want to crap on this movie, but uh, I saw this f- movie because I was originally planning to see planning to see Crimes of the Future, but I had a tough day, and it was like nine thirty. I was like, I don't think as much as I badly want to see it, I don't think I'm up for Crimes of the Future. So I will see the Bob's Burgers movie, um, <laughs> okay. which admittedly put me in a much better mood. Yeah. Um, not that I was necessarily in a bad mood, but I was, I was pretty drained, but I also wanted to see a movie. Let me say this, though. Crimes of the Future, I think, is more fun than people are giving I, credit for. I have no doubt. Uh, I mean, because it's, it's essentially a noir. You, oh, I didn't, know, I didn't know it was that far. I knew that yeah. there was like a sort of an... Uh, not necessarily a, detect- a detective element, but like a, a mystery element, a mystery element to it. Yeah, like the, yeah. Viggo Mortensen and Leah Sidhu are are performance artists whose particular performance art 
lends them to Scott Speedman's character wanting to get them involved in his attempts to sort of like uncover a government like yeah. conspiracy. And so they're like in typical noir fashion, they're like dragged into the criminal yeah. uh, uh, under, underworld. So it's it's essentially a noir, but with a very Cronenberg uh, touch to yeah. it. And that's the thing is like invariably if I'm seeing a good movie, it doesn't really matter what the tone is. It will put me, it will yeah. invigorate me and put me in a yeah, good mood. So I true. probably should have just done that. But anyway, um, but I hear Bob's burgers is, it's a lot of fun. fun. And, and I've not seen every episode of Bob's burgers. I've seen several, um, enough to, to kind of get the vibe of it. And you know, anytime you make a show, I'd say, especially an animated show, I'd say even more, especially an animated show of a very specific, I'd say understated comedic tone and it, and you make that into like an hour and a half long big screen feature film. It's like, boy, you, you run a risk of, of not, uh, not porting it over well enough. Uh, but I think they do. I think the story that, the, did you see it? No. Okay. I was supposed to see it. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then, well, I haven't said this on the show yet. But I got COVID. Oh, like, right, right. Over yes. a, almost two, well, I guess like a month and a half ago, I got COVID. Right. Um, and so I have not seen Bob's Burgers movie or Men. Both movies, both oh, screenings okay. I had to cancel uh, at the last minute because I got COVID. I was fine. It, uh, I uh, only had it for like four and a half days, or only had symptoms for like four and a half days, and they were never that bad, and I'm fine now. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'd never said that on the show, but I figured I should because I, I think I fell victim to that like feeling embarrassed about getting covid thing that i think i think a lot of people feel that uh um, yes uh and i don't so i'm trying to fight against that like it's not it's not a, a personal or moral failing to have gotten covid um but uh i'm you know lucky i was vaxxed and boosted and and this i'm assuming it was a more recent variant that is less yeah. Uh, uh, drastic than some of the er early ones so uh, yeah I was recently like at work the other day I was talking to someone who was like um, not in my office like a vendor had like been like working from the office like this entire time like you know never was really working from home um, and I was like oh yeah did you ever get COVID because I feel like right now so many of my friends in 2022 right. including you <laughs> Yes. Like since 2022, like so many of my friends have gotten COVID and this is like long after vaccines that I forget how bad it was early on. So I, yeah. I just casually asked like, oh yeah, did you ever get it? He was like, yeah, I did. Uh, my friend that I got it from died. And like a, a reminder of how far we've, we've come with this thing. Not that it's not a threat anymore, especially to people who are older, older compromised yeah. and things like that. We still have to like, yeah. you know, try and stop spreading it because those people are still uh, at risk but uh, it was just a reminder of that and anyway and I went of, way off topic of course here. there's uh, because people who are vaccinated are have gotten it there are people who are sort of anti-vax who are like oh see it didn't stop the spread it's like oh, maybe not but admittedly like for almost all those people it was a bad cold before that certainly if you were above a certain age and sometimes not even that like it was a, a, a problem like mm -hmm. you could actually die i know people whose relatives have died uh because they got it before they before there was anything that could fight against it mm -hmm. um i mean there there were things that could like mitigate it a little bit but not not like this so it's you know it's 
yeah for my money it's like well you know it's i'm glad that i even though i got COVID, i'm glad that i got like uh vaccinated and and boosted just because the whole house got it and it was it was tough it was a bad cold but we were over it in like you know a week and a half so it yeah. and at no point did any of us fear for our lives. Like that's, it was just yeah. a bad cold. Yeah, that's so that's, that's where I was. Uh, my main regret was that I had not gone grocery shopping recently sure. before I so I spent a ton of money on DoorDash <laughs> for, oh. that, for that week. Do you have Instacart? Um I guess I could have done groceries, but I think we also Natalie and I had like when we got COVID we had just moved like it was days after we moved into our new place. Mm-hmm. And so there was a part of like Let's try the restaurants around here. Oh, around here. So we like absolutely. got a lot of delivery over that. Yeah. That we, I mean, yeah, it was like a little over a week because I had it, and then Natalie got it right at the tail end mm. of when I when I had it. Anyway, that's I'm glad you're family. feeling better. Uh, yeah, and this, uh, was, this was like I said, almost a month yeah. and a half ago, or a month and a half ago. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, so the Bob's Burgers movie, I think, you know, the the key, sort of like with the Simpsons movie, is you 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 can't just have it be. I guess you could. You could try to have it be like, hey, it's essentially just a long regular episode that's like yes but it is going to be bigger and you the the episode itself needs to have more stakes you are making a movie that's going to be in theaters and the story that they're telling is a is a a more in-depth one and and one that has higher stakes and one that you know they 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 make it into like a musical uh i would say that like the songs are fun while you're watching them like i'd be hard pressed Mm. to recount any aspect of any of the songs but uh but yeah it's if you like bob's burgers which i do it's not my it's not like my favorite show but it uh, you know i chuckled a few times in the movie and it's just a very just like the show itself it's very pleasant and uh and nicely awkward and uh, i was i was glad i saw it okay um moving on i i feel like a a a dumb westerner a dumb american um because i said two African films in a row, which is true, but I should have okay. said two Senegalese films in a row. Oh, okay. They're both from the same country. This is like uh, I once saw like someone refer to tacos as Latin American food, which is like, yeah, that's technically true in right. the sense that like you know, uh, bolognese is European food, yeah. but tacos are Mexican, bolognese yeah. is Italian, and so I feel dumb being like just treating Africa as one big amorphous thing that's bad it's a bad like uh, at, at the same time there are, there are moments like like my kids like uh, they are Mexican like specifically as far as like the culture and stuff that they come out of and mm-hmm. uh, not to mention ethnicity and yet somehow similar to in uh, 30 Rock when um, when I think um, I think it's Salma Hayek who, who shows up and she's okay. she's Puerto Rican and she just says I'm Puerto Rican and like all the white people are like ah wait, yeah, that doesn't feel right to say that it's like that just <laughs> doesn't sound right like they're so used to just like if you just say the nationality as opposed to like the larger thing right. uh, it's instinctively like ah is it technically true but at the same time it feels like there's an insult in there somewhere right <laughs> wasn't um, there an office like probably yeah where, yeah um yeah uh, but at the same time like an unsure jack donaghy is like one of the funniest things in the world like yeah. him just being like wow that uh, really does not sound right um but anyway so go on yes okay so uh the other senegalese film i i saw was um tukibuki or uh 
IMDb tells me also known as The Journey of the Hyena. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, this movie's terrific. Okay. Uh, this is up my alley. This is essentially a sort of like Lovers on the Run movie. Oh, okay. Um, it's uh, basically this uh, this couple um, in their probably early 20s or whatever. They're uh, sick of the small town life and they want to leave Senegal and go to Paris, but they need to... Um, get i was gonna say earn they need to get some money in order to do that and they are willing to get the money however they uh they they can um and so it's basically them driving around trying to like rip people off but also it has this feeling of they're just like of of they're just trying to be free um uh it's it, it it's not as as chaotic as Puro LeFou, which I love and I know you don't like. Um, it's not quite as chaotic as, as that, but it has some of that, like, anything can happen type I of... I kind of warmed to it. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just... After watching it, which sometimes happens with movies like that, yeah. uh, in the moment, it's like, ugh, I can't get a handle on this. And then after a while, and then after you watch it, or after I watch it, it's just... Well, I don't need to have a handle on it, strictly speaking. It's, yeah. it's So, like, what am I left thinking about? It's like, oh, actually good things and funny things so you know what that's that's okay um yeah so it's a um uh just very like feels very it's 1973 and it feels very like early like new hollywood just freedom just like hmm. um uh doing whatever we want to have a movie you know something obviously it has um things in common with badlands which is also a lovers on the run mm-hmm. uh type of movie and easy rider because it's like a motorcycle road trip type of movie as well so it has all of these but the one thing i'll the one big criticism uh is that i think a large chunk of the movie is i think very homophobic because one of like the main guy they rip off is like this you know decadently rich guy but he's also like very gay like very clearly gay and like i don't know i don't know where if there's any divide between the movie like criticizing him for how uh for his like conspicuous consumption or criticizing him for being gay like seems to be a lot of overlap (laughs) in 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 those things uh that's my one problem but uh i still thought that i mean the movie's terrific with that with that asterisk all right, next for me is a film I believe you've seen, which okay. is uh, Scott McGee and David Siegel's Montana Story. Yes, I loved this. Uh, I don't know if I'd say I loved it. I really, really liked it. It's very much my kind of Well, you know of what movie. put me over the top to loving it? Haley Lou Richardson. Haley Lou Richardson. Yeah. Uh, I think both the leads are pretty great. Uh, I, I have limited exposure to Owen Teague. Um, I'd seen him in a couple things here and there. Liked what I saw, but, uh, you know, he kind of was sort of a character he's kind of you know he's tall kind of gawky and and all that so like he plays he's in a couple of stephen king things he plays harold lauder in the the uh, paramount uh, or cbs or whatever okay uh the stand and then he's in uh he's in the it movies he was in the first episode of a a pbs series called mercy street do you remember that it had um uh mary elizabeth winstead and Hmm. uh Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother. What's his name? I don't. Josh. Josh Radner. Josh Radner uh, and some other people. But it was a, a interesting series, a cool series. It took place during the Civil War at a hospital in Alexandria, Virginia, that was like a Union-run hospital, but had 
would treat anyone who was wounded. Mm. So there were Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers being treated huh. there. And uh, Owen Teague is a con- plays a Confederate soldier in the pilot episode hmm. of Mercy Street. Spoilers, he's not in any other episodes after that. <laughs> Got it. Uh, and I do know that in the, on that show Bloodline, which I never watched, I know that he plays a young Ben Mendelsohn, which is like, yes, oh, yeah. I believe that 100%. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I like both of them. And, I, and one of the things that I really like it's weird like the thing that keeps me from loving it is the kind of thing where it's like yeah but i'm requiring a certain a certain line of logic from characters that are hurt and i feel like i that's not fair of me i feel like i shouldn't do that um Hmm. but but i also it's like ah but it it feels like a writing oversight as opposed to like characters that are irrational um and and i I don't really want to get into it, even though like they, they get into it pretty overtly, like in the trailer. Um, but essentially, it's it's a small thing, and it's it's handled so well by the actors that it doesn't necessarily bother me. Um, but I think the thing that that really gets me in both of these performances, like these are two characters that are obviously fairly lonely, and they are they have felt a certain degree of hurt, uh, a certain degree of anger a certain degree of guilt um i'd say in the case of owen teague there's a, cer- a certain degree of arrested development um not completely he's still an adult still functional and all that but now that his sister is back you see him sort of revert you can see him kind of falling back into like a 15 year old kid um mm-hmm. with with like eagerness to please and that sort of thing and i think that's what i like is that you know, if you just look on the page, the, the script is, is solid. If you just look on the page, everything's fairly straightforward. But in the direction and the music and the performances, it really suggests, like, for everything they're saying, there's, like, eight things they're not saying. Because if they start, they won't stop. And so they're opting not to. And I think, and I really appreciate that, not to mention just the specificity of the story. Like, this isn't just, like generic I feel bad saying this like as far as this kind of movie it's not like generic strained relationship generic abusive upbringing Mm -hmm. like there are very specific stories that you can that these characters can point to and say that was a breaking point you know that sort of thing and so I really I appreciate that sort of thing Um, and uh, and I yeah it's this is very much the my kind of of movie and it's been a while since i've seen one like it yeah um, um and so yeah i liked it a lot and I, the guys, I saw it in the theater too uh, i did not see it in the theater i saw it in the screener um um these are the guys who also made the deep end with with tilda swinton um, oh my and uh what's his name from er that was a Gorn, while ago Gorn visnick yeah. yeah um yeah uh so they're they're oh, very okay. talented uh, i already talked about the movie at length uh, at some length on a solo movie journal so the only thing i'll say um, my own, I love Haley Richardson. She continues to be one of my favorite working actors. Uh, my, the one asterisk, the one caveat here is there is scene, there's a scene in this movie where she smokes a cigarette and it is very clear that Haley Richardson is not a smoker. Hmm. I honestly wish that I could like teach classes. <laughs> if sure. there's any, if anything like positive could come from my, my very bad decision to smoke cigarettes is that I could teach because I think it's good that young people don't smoke cigarettes as much right. anymore. That's great. But I want to teach actors yeah. because it's not in 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 the movie. If you remember that scene when she has a cigarette, it's clearly she 
references being a smoker. Yes. And so it's not like it's her first cigarette. She's supposed right. to have some ease and facility with it, and she's holding it like it's going to like burn her, which is the main thing that you can tell yeah. when someone is not used to smoking is that they're very aware that they have fire in their hands, and they're yeah. like trying to keep it away from their face. Um, yeah. you go their back fingers and, are too stiff. It's, yeah. You go back and look at like uh, Bogart or, or Mitchum, and you're just like, now there's guys who know how to smoke. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. Bogart especially uh, yeah. you know, died horribly of cancer. But yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the other actor I'll, I'll, I'll point out, and I didn't mention this in my review or when I talked about the movie journal, um, Kimberly Guerrero plays the... Um, it's wrong to call her the housekeeper because it clears like her role is much bigger than that. Caretaker, maybe, yeah. of the ranch? Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm it's, not sure. I think she plays multiple roles because she's not... Not literally, but that character right, yeah, has yeah, yeah, yeah. But wears like, multiple hats at the ranch. Yeah. And she's almost, you kind of get the impression that like she was sort of a nanny uh, type yeah, yeah. Uh, when they were younger. Yeah, she um, she's great. Um, yeah. I, I, I know the her, whole cast is great. I know her mostly from the episode of Seinfeld where she's Elaine's Native American friend that Jerry uh, offends, <laughs> which is probably an episode. I haven't watched it forever. That episode probably doesn't hold up very well. Um but uh, that's the main thing I know her from. She also, uh, um, there's one episode of Sopranos where she's a dealer in the Indian casino. Mm. Um, but she's a, I, I, I like when she pops up and things that she's quite good in this. Yeah, right. it's a solid movie. Yeah. All right, moving on to uh, a movie that I uh, doesn't come out for a couple weeks and hasn't really played any festivals or anything but I double checked the email I'm not under embargo um, Anthony Fabian's Mrs. Harris goes to Paris okay um, this I've is, seen posters for it uh, and it, so it's got a really fun cast Leslie Man, Man Leslie Manville plays uh, Mrs. Harris Isabel Huppert is in it Lambert Wilson Lambert Wilson I should I should probably say uh, Jason Isaacs um, has a has a small role um uh, there's an, uh, Anna Chancellor who I only I don't know if you know who that is she's mm-hmm. in Four Weddings and a Funeral some reason I recognized her immediately um, but the, the movie is just it's uh, well first off I'm looking the movie hasn't come out yet I'm looking at the letterboxed write up and it says it lists the, the info as 92 minutes no the movie is longer than that if only it were only 92 mm-hmm. minutes it's, it's closer to a full two hours um, and that's a big part of the problem. It's it's too long. It's too uh, uh, mawkish and, and corny yeah. for the most part. The Leslie Manfield plays a um, you know a uh, house cleaner, a working uh, woman who one of her clients is a rich lady who uh, goes to Paris and buys a Christian Dior dress, and and uh, Mrs. Harris is so ta- uh, she's a widow, by the way. Uh, that's the Mrs. There's no Mister around. Mm-hmm. Uh, he. Uh, movie takes place in the late 50s and he died in in world war ii um and she because she's so taken with the dress that she decides she's gonna like scrimp and save every bit of money she can and um go to paris herself and get herself a christian dior dress um and isabel huppert plays weirdly isabel huppert plays the leslie manville role from phantom thread if that makes sense oh sure <laughs> <laughs> um, uh and uh uh, so yeah, it's it's just it, it has a lot of like really weak like messaging of like just be nice and be positive and things will uh, happen for you and and there's a whole like 
storyline about the Dior house is like suffering financially and and she helps turn things around in a way that felt as simplistic as an, an insulting as the end of Christopher Robin. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Do you remember how bad that yeah. was? Uh, yeah. So I, mo- I can't spend too much time. It's mostly bad. But here's the middle section of the movie, which is just her in Paris because turns out, as we know from things like Phantom Thread, if you buy a dress from Christian Dior, at, especially at this time, it's not like off the rack. You're buying the style and they have to like, you have to come in for multiple fittings. Mm-hmm. So she ends up having to stay in Paris for like a couple weeks. And that whole section is actually uh, where the movie shines because uh, so often I think, it, you know, if you look at something like The Devil Wears Prada, which is a movie that I never really responded to, I know a lot of people like it, but I think that movie, the way that that movie argues for fashion and the importance of fashion mm-hmm. feels reverse engineered to me and feels false. It feels like, uh, well, I read about fashion and here's what I'm supposed to think sure. about. It, the middle section of Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris actually does, I think, take fashion and clothing design seriously as an art form and actually explores what it means to people to pay for and then take possession of something that is uh, uh, well-crafted, artfully crafted, thing, nice things that are well-made. You know, I don't have anything, I don't have any clothes on that level. I'm not that kind of like style guy that I like, you know, save up for these, like and wait in line for these holy grails or whatever. But I am a person who likes nice things. Mm-hmm. I think the idea of clothing-wise owning fewer better things than just like sure. cycling through fast fashion and, you know, your H&Ms and Zara's and stuff like that. Target. Like, Target, yeah. Like, owning, like, yeah, that, you know, that pair of shoes, one pair of shoes might be uh, hundreds of dollars, but also that pair of shoes, if you take care of it, occasionally get it resold, that pair of shoes will last you the rest of your life. Yes. That's the idea. And I think... So I'll end by saying a nice thing about Mrs. Paris, Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, which is that I really do think it is written and made by people who take fashion seriously and take clothing and design and construction uh, seriously. And that's the last thing I'll say about it. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All right. Well, let's pivot to my least favorite movie of the year which is Colin Trevorrow's Jurassic World Dominion. (laughs) I don't know if anybody... uh, My review's been posted for a while now, so uh, I'm sure people, uh, if they're interested, they've already read it. Um, Man, it's just so stupid. And you know what? That is not inherently a mark against a movie. There are plenty of stupid movies that I kind of love. But there's a certain kind of stupid where it's just like, 
because they just didn't put in the effort to be smart. You know what I mean? Like, because I do, I think that's the thing that tends to bother me the most is when you have all of these resources at your disposal, you can make pretty, you could probably make whatever. It's a Jurassic World movie. It was going to make money no matter what. Now, some people, when they hear that, they take risks. You know, you and I often talk about Batman Returns being yeah. the risk that admittedly infuriated the studio and baffled audiences, but who cares? <laughs> like it, it still, it made its, its money. Yeah. It's it, uh, Gremlins yeah. too. you know, it's yeah. uh, certain filmmakers be like, okay, let's really do something here. Uh, and while there are a couple of uh, uh, unexpected moments uh, or, or unexpected plot lines in Jurassic World Dominion, uh, they're unexpected because no one could ever expect something so stupid. Um, and so <laughs> uh, that reminds me I'm trying to remember who the guest was on the Slash film cast so long ago what was the I never saw it the Gerard Butler movie was it called like Law Abiding Citizen that's the or one something? yeah yeah I, I didn't see it I don't even really remember what it was about um, yeah I never saw it either but I remember one of the Slash film hosts I think it was Tosh Robinson was the guest and one of the Slash film hosts talking about how like they got like outsmarted by that movie because i guess it has a twist ending and she was like did you get outsmarted or was it just the movie was stupider than you ever possibly could have (laughs) thought of yourself that's about right (laughs) yeah um uh it's uh, tommy johnigan has a wonderful bit about uh, trying to explain itunes to his mom (laughs) and saying like i'm not smart enough to be dumb enough to know how to explain this to you um and that's very much how jurassic world dominion feels uh and you know it's comfortable Colin Trevorrow is not a bad director of action, and yet somehow it it often feels so soulless that I just didn't I didn't care about what was happening on screen. There are a handful of moments that are really effective. There's a scene where a character uh, is has ejected out of a plane, so she's like still connected to her chair, and the first parachute is destroyed by, you know, pterodactyls, as will happen. Uh, or are they pteranodons? Or pteranodons. There are apparently like eight or nine different okay. species in the film. But, um, and so she, and and so she does the second one and it's fine, but the whole time that she's falling and this is happening, like, it's all essentially like one continuous shot just of her face. And, and like, and, and yeah, essentially like uh, medium close-up. And that's and so like you're right there with her and you're seeing the terror on her face like okay this this is working for me I actually this is uh, frightening and 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 thrilling and then when she lands she's like hanging from a tree and she's just high up enough that a dinosaur that is not a carnivore and it's a dinosaur that I was unfamiliar with I don't remember the name of it to this day but it's a it's an unusual looking dinosaur and it does what I've always wanted these films to do which it says like just because they won't eat you doesn't mean they won't kill you. Hmm. And so there's this extended sequence where this thing is moving very slowly uh, and it is clearly dangerous and it clearly feels a little bit threatened by her and she is trying to figure out like how to navigate that. It's a wordless sequence, which I think is to the always mm-hmm. to the credit of this film. Um, <laughs> but uh, that sequence is really solid. That, that's all I can think of. Obviously, Goldblum is a lot of fun. Campbell Scott shows up. Oh. 
and he's great. Oh, he plays. Uh, yeah. They bring him him back as Dodgson, uh, the guy who initially. Yeah, but who initially wasn't played by Campbell Scott. Correct, right? because uh, that actor uh, was discovered to be a, a, a sex predator and uh, sent to prison, so they can't bring him back. Yeah, probably good, um, good call. But uh, but they but Campbell Scott, both in the way they write him, but the way he plays it, it's like, ooh, this is. Mm. And there's a scene between him and and Goldblum where they're like, you know, angry at each other. It's like, oh, oh, this is exciting. I, I this is so much more exciting than anything dinosaur related. Um, so yeah, it's. But for the most part, the other big thing is like they bring, you know, they bring back the, these three legacy characters. They bring back, you know, Sam Neill and Laura Dern and, and Goldblum. Yeah. Of course, they know how to use Goldblum because it's not that hard to know how to use Goldblum. <laughs> you just wind him up and let him go. Um, the other two. It's just, it's so perfunctory. I don't even feel like I'm looking at the same characters. And I'm part of a couple of like Jurassic Park, like fan groups on Facebook. And you know, there are a lot of people who said like, oh, I was disappointed. And then some people are like, oh, you're just thinking too much. Like I just, I was just excited to see those characters again. It's just like, so you're literally just excited at their presence in a film. Cause they're not the same characters really. Um, yeah. And they're not given anything good to do. So really, it's just the visual of them being on your screen in the context of a Jurassic film. That's it. That is the that. And you know what? Like, that is what the that's what the director's uh, the director is clearly counting on because um, he didn't really put much effort into making yeah. them anything either. So it's just it's just such a nothing film. Except it's also two and a half hours of nothing, of which course. is off-putting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I, you know, I'm also, I was also excited that, you know, hey, they were excited to see the legacy characters. I was excited to see the Dilophosaurus come back. And if you, if you look, it doesn't take a genius to know the how much they're going to pander. So like. Okay, Dilophosaurus is back. What did the Dilophosaurus do in the last film? It killed Nedry. Who's back? <laughs> okay, I think we can... Yeah. It's not going to take much to add two and two here and figure out how a certain character is going to die. Poetic justice. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it is a... Ugh, just awful. Just awful. Um, so while you were talking, I was listening, ah. but I was also looking up Cameron Thor, the actor who played oh, Dodgson. Oh, boy. Uh... Well, t- he has completed his prison sentence. He has. He he He's, could have. He was available. He was. He <laughs> I was. I think they still made the right call. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I did look. I did look him up because I thought he was still in jail. Uh, yeah, it's. I would have. I, I. I think I would have liked. It's like, you know, we are bringing the legacy characters back. I think people are going to be real excited to see him, provided they don't look him up on wikipedia if they yeah. don't do that they're gonna be thrilled <laughs> yeah all right um <clears throat> next up for me is a new um uh or at least new ish from new to these shores uh chinese film called a new old play uh directed by uh chiu jong jong um and uh it reminded me i, I going back you know a millennium um, when you and I did uh, a profile of Zhang Yimou. Do you remember that? Oh, boy. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Yeah. Um, 
but I think I believe you watched the film To Live. I think I can't remember if you watched the movie. You watched Judo and you didn't watch To Live. I can't. Remember. No, I don't remember honestly. Um, but it, it, in a way, it kind of reminded me of To Live in the sense that it is. It uses a the the story of a character who's an artist um, in To Live. It was uh, in the. That's only part of the story in To Live that he was a puppeteer. Uh, there are other things going on. Um, uh, in this case, he's an, an actor and and uh, had a, a eventual like head of a theater troupe um, to tell the story of a section of Chinese history. The, but the main difference between To Live and a New Old Play is that there's much more <laughs> high concept to. Um, uh, to to live or to uh, a new old play because the main character in the opening scene dies and we you know we don't see him die we see essentially two demons like they're just you know men okay they're it. just men but like they're essentially like grim reapers come to claim mm. him and take him to what the movie or at least the subtitles call hell but I don't think that's the right comparison for what like because they think of hell as a place of eternal torment sure this seems like it's more of like a limbo type of like waiting area okay. where souls go to pass on and so then he while in let's continue to call it hell the nether let's call it the netherworld while in sure. the netherworld um he relives his entire life so we see his his uh, in, entire life um in and we see him go through things that have a lot to do with Chinese history that I have to admit I don't know enough about like early 20th century and mid 20th century Chinese history to really know what all of the references were were about but various periods of of war and and revolution and economic uh, uh, ups and downs all take place but all of it is done in this like very heightened sort of like every scene is like almost like a tableau like they're all on sound stages they're all supposed to be you know outdoors or whatever but there's just backdrops suggesting the the location and and everything's very heightened and play-like he was a an actor and a uh head of a theater troupe so um it makes sense that he's reliving his his entire life while he's waiting to move on to whatever comes next um in this theatrical way uh and so even not really knowing much about the specific history and, and I don't know if the movie is like instructive enough that I actually learned <laughs> much history, the movie is still like so much fun in a way. I and mean, it's like often very dark, but it's it's so beautiful and like and the concept uh, uh of it is is so engaging and, and well realized that uh even at nearly three hours long, which it is, um but it doesn't but it doesn't really feel that long because yeah. it's like sometimes things that are episodic if they're episodic in a bad way it can stretch it out and make it feel too long right. but sometimes if you're just watching it's sort of like how people can binge an entire season of a good show sure. because it doesn't feel like you watched for 15 hours it feels like you just watched a bunch of little things and i think uh, that's kind of how a new old play it doesn't feel like 3 hours because it's a bunch of little vignettes um that are all good uh and uh yeah i uh, uh highly recommend a new old play all right uh so i saw the movie watcher directed by chloe okuno um starring mike and who's always fun to see 
Uh, and it is about this uh, young woman who uh, is married and moves to, um, I want to say it's Romania. Might be wrong about that. I could look um, it up while you... Yes, please do so. Uh, but she doesn't know anybody, and you know she doesn't speak the language, but her husband does. He's there for work. So they move to this you know, really nice but fairly empty apartment, um, and that's where she's left every day while he uh, goes off to work. Romania. Romania, okay. Um, and she starts to think, you know, she, she looks directly across the street at, you know, the... the building across and she sees uh, a window with like the shades open and she doesn't see inside but it does look she does see a silhouette and it appears that someone is looking at her and so it's her so at first it's like okay well whatever um and then slowly but surely she starts to think that this person is now following her as she goes to the store nearby um and there's you know there is a uh like a serial killer uh, that is around uh, in the city, so that fuels her paranoia. Uh, it's very Hitchcock. This one is called. It's <laughs> called the Spider. Okay. Uh, the Lopper is from Seinfeld. The Lopper. The Cause Lopper. Because it, it lops your head off. Oh, that's he yeah. lops. He lop, the Lopper. Yeah. yeah. Lopper. Uh, and so, so you uh, know, it's, my entire like, I I could find a way to talk about. Seinfeld or Sopranos. Yeah. <laughs> Anything you bring up, I will yeah, connect it to Seinfeld or Sopranos. Yeah. You were saying something earlier, and I couldn't remember. I don't remember what it was now, but it, when you said it, I was like, oh, that's like Seinfeld. Uh, <laughs> but I don't remember what it was. Anyway, um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, you know, it's obviously, it's very Hitchcockian. Um, there's a lot of rear window in there, um, but, uh, and, and, there's some Polanski in there, the idea of, of paranoia and it being in a strange place and surrounded by people and either someone is actively pursuing you or people simply don't believe you. Um, so it it's it's a lot of what you've seen before. I'll say that. But that's okay as long as it's done in a way that yeah, is organic and, and feels fresh and it certainly does. Like this is this is an extremely creepy movie. Like there's this oh beautiful sequence where she it's nighttime she's alone she's looking up she sees the silhouette and she's like talking to it and she's like you're not actually looking at me are you and then she like waves her hand and nothing happens and she's like okay yeah that's what i thought and as she turns away you see the hand raise Mm -hmm. and it's like and it's all done quietly and it's behind it's like and it's it's just stuff like that I love that. And it's done so well. Um, and yeah, it's it's a film that I definitely recommend. I, it's, you know, a cool 90 minutes, which I like. Um, occasionally f- pretty darkly funny, but also pretty grisly too. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, I was really glad I saw it. It's one of those. So I have the, the AMC uh, Stubbs member thing or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I know it's AMC. Uh Regardless of what Nicole Kidman says, I don't think they make movies better. Although, probably the 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 most exciting thing about uh, about seeing Top Gun Maverick for me is I realized that that promo of Nicole Kidman walking into AMC theaters was shot at the theater that I was seeing Top Gun Maverick uh, at, which is uh, Porter, Porter Ranch. Ranch. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, hey, fun. Um, so that was very exciting. Yeah, for I think I learned from Twitter that that's where that was shot. I will say, I've never seen the Nicole Kidman thing because mm. I 
don't go to AMC. I mean, I go to AMC's for press screenings, but they don't show sure. before press screenings. Right, right. I, I don't. I don't know. I never really. I didn't. I don't think I made a decision to not go to AMC's, but I haven't been to an AMC in even before the pandemic years. Like just like as a customer, I just don't. It's, I think it just it was because there are so many smaller chains around LA. I mean, you know, if I had to pick a favorite, I'd say Lemley. I really love the Lemley yeah. theaters. Um, but there are way more AMCs. There are more options, and uh, hmm. well, I guess especially was, living where I live, there are several yeah. within you know a, a ten to fifteen minute drive. Where I lived previously in North Hollywood, I had the Lemley NoHo Seven, which is like most of the Lemleys are like pretty like art house or indie, whatever mm-hmm. focused. But NoHo Seven is one that has a mix. That, it's a nice know, mix. Like, That's a great theater. Uh, yeah, it really is. So I would go there, and then. There's the Cinemark, which I actually yeah. really like seeing movies at. Yeah. I've been going long enough since before they had the uh, reclining chairs, but I still yeah, like the reclining was, chairs. Yeah, I mean, we lived right there, and uh, it was kind of a junky little theater for a while, and then they like really put money yeah. into it. But uh, Yeah, I think, I'm trying to think when they changed that. Oh, at this point, it was probably easily 10 years ago. Because I remember, I'm trying to think what was the first thing I saw after they changed it. Because I know I remember the... Um, the Tarzan movie with Alexander Skarsgård? 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 Are you having a stroke? No. Um, I think it's just Tarzan? Is it just called... Or is it called The Legend the of Tarzan? The Legend of Tarzan. Yeah. That sounds right. I know I saw that there with the new chairs. Yeah. And I know I saw Drive with the old chairs. Mm. Somewhere in between there is when they changed it. It's... Yeah. And that's uh, the thing is like, there are other... Th- I mean, back in the days of Movie Pass, where you could go to almost any theater... I love that because there were sometimes I go to AMC, sometimes I go to Lemley, sometimes I go to a Regency, whatever, and that was great. But now I just got locked into this AMC thing, and once you're locked into it, it's like, well, I don't want to go anywhere else because I'm already paying for this. That's right. I'm sure the psychology behind it. Yeah. Uh, and and so that's the thing is, when you have it, there's this feeling of like, well, I need to justify it, and so that so it's like, oh well, I don't know, I didn't know anything about Watcher anything i saw i saw that michael monroe was in it i was like okay well at least that'll be good yeah um so it forces you to justify the cost which means seeing movies that i might not see otherwise and i and that's exciting to me i really like that um and even something like the bob's burgers movie um you know it's they're just feeling like oh i'll i'll go see this uh just so i, I can get out of the house and mm-hmm. It doesn't. It's not going to cost me anything but time at this point. I mean, obviously, just because the money's already been spent, it's yeah. not going to cost me anything but time. So I'll go do that. And so it definitely, like, I'm already. I've already seen way more movies this year than I have than I had at this point last year. And a lot of that is because of uh, just yeah. the, the ability to just kind of casually go to uh, one of these theaters and just see kind of whatever's there and the kind of feeling a little bit of pressure to do that but a good pressure so well i've got one more movie and then i think you have one more yes okay so my next and final movie uh is a i guess i'll call it documentary directed by rebecca hunt it's called i think it's b-e-b-a i think it's beba okay um and documentary isn't really the right word it's a sort of memoir of uh, a, a movie it's it's this um woman rebecca hunt beba is the nickname that her mother calls her um uh, telling the story of of 
of of her life um of being you know the son of uh, uh her father's in the dominican republic her mother's from venezuela she grew up in in new york city um and uh i think if i if i wanted to get you know talk about the academic layers of the movie it's definitely about um various uh the way that identities and economy shape the way that you interact with the world as also and also the way and i think the the movie does a good job of <laughs> it's it's going to be hard it would be hard i think for a director making a movie about themselves to address this but i think the movie addresses it well she's very beautiful okay and i think that the movie um is aware of the way that her life took a path other than what may have been laid out for her by her economic background and racial mm-hmm. background over because she's very beautiful but also because she's talented there's not any one thing um so that, that reminds me sorry go ahead it reminds me of that wonderful uh, jim gaffigan bit where he says like you know sometimes when an actor or actress is too beautiful it takes you out of the film like he's like i saw monster's ball and you know uh halle berry is like in grinding poverty and i just thought like why doesn't she become a model <laughs> like that would solve it uh, but there so are just, like no i know that yeah I understand. there are beautiful people who are yeah. poor uh, yo absolutely um, absolutely uh but anyway what i'm uh so that's like the academic read in the movie is that it's about the way that um various parts of self both inner and outer affect the way that you are able to move through the world that's what the movie is about but what i really want to uh highlight at least is uh, how beautiful the filmmaking is that this is um Beba, rebecca hunt is clearly someone who loves filming and has been filming for most of her life so she has a lot of footage to 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 pull from but there's also a lot of new footage um it's the the movie is uh, incredibly colorful because you can just tell that's what she's drawn to so there are um lots of colorful color color ugh, colorful skies and nature but also colorful clothing and and uh accessories and everything is just full of 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 color and uh the way the movie is edited is um it would sort of she she narrates the movie herself and i thought i I thought about like you and tom anderson both being (laughs) people who made documentaries you narrated your first one but Mm -hmm. like made documentaries where you had someone else do the narration yeah and I think Rebecca Hunt doing the narration makes the film feel more personal because it's clear that she's not a professional voice actor. Hmm. You know, she's her narration is is good and it's written by her and she does well, but it's there's a little bit of roughness uh, uh, to it, and that really speaks to the movie as, as a whole. It's it it feels very handmade, but also very beautiful at at the same time. There's a there's a mix of like impressionistic collage type work but then also some just like straight ahead just like interviews but like you know normally you you know you and i tend to both be a little bit like bored with like talking head style documentaries 
it changes when the person interview and the person being interviewed is the mother of the person oh, of doing course. the interviewing Absolutely. and they're trying to talk about their like whole tumultuous uh uh uh, past and like she you talked about Owen Teague's character in Montana story kind of regressing when he goes home you can see her like she wants to like be you can see her wanting to be the filmmaker like grilling her mother on the ways that right. she like failed her but you also see her just like turning back into a teenager while she's mm. trying to interview interview her mom it's it's great um, the movie's really great oh, that sounds what is it what is it called again Beba B-E-B-A oh it sounds wonderful um, okay so my last film I saw yesterday. It is Baz Luhrmann's. Uh, oh, that you were talking about the Danny Boyle movie. Oh, it's <laughs> the damnedest thing about movie titles is eventually everything you ever say yeah. could be a movie title. <laughs> uh, but no, I saw Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Um, have you seen it? I have not uh, seen it. I was bummed I couldn't make the screening because I'm uh, I'm a Baz Baz head. I think. Sure. Sure. Yeah. You're a lure man. Um, so, uh, <laughs> literally belly laugh. Had to like hold my belly while. It's a real problem, actually. <laughs> if you don't hold it, you'll get a terrible hernia. Um, so, uh, it it was fucking fantastic. Oh, I'm so glad. I. It's my favorite movie of the year. Oh, I'm so glad. Um. There are critics that hate it, and I understand why they're wrong, but I understand why. Because, yes, it does do... I, I don't want to just, like... Re, I wrote my review today and posted it today, so I don't want to just, like, rehash everything I say there. You can just read that at battleshipretention.com. Um, but uh, it's... Yes, of course, it's a musical biopic movie, just like all the other ones, and it hits all the same points. But as we were talking about with Watcher, it's not how it does. It's not what it's doing. It's how it's doing it. Mm -hmm. Because Baz Luhrmann is not a passive. Uh, be like, all right, let's let's just go through the motions. He's not that kind of filmmaker. Uh, the film has so much, of course, has so much energy, and and this is something that we've we've said before. With any time a movie is is telling a, a story about like a real person, is that. There are certain movies, for, for my money, uh, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood is an example of this, where the the essence of the subject just starts to saturate the film itself. Mm. So Tom Hanks is the common denominator here. I guess so, and yet a very different character. Um, but, uh, like, Elvis's... It's not merely Elvis himself and his charisma and his energy, but it's also just the concept of Elvis, in the United States was so huge and so and and the the nation was so hysterical that that hysteria just just saturates the whole film certainly as, as he's you know rising uh, to the top but like and, and appropriately like there there are moments where like the, there's just these montages like here's the things you know but we'll inject them with energy so that you feel like you're living in this time and that you're watching his meteoric rise and that you're excited for it. You're excited for him. Um, and, you know, and so, like, it's just... And to say nothing of the performances themselves, Austin Butler, as Elvis, like, every... There are people who hate this movie. No one, to my knowledge, has a bad thing to say about yeah. Austin Butler. And nor should they. 
It is one of the best performances I've ever seen, not merely just in a musical biopic. Like this is, I say this in my review, this is the kind of performance, it's not reminiscent of Joaquin Phoenix in in Walk the Line. It's reminiscent of like Leonardo DiCaprio in The Revenant. Like it is that level of intense and commitment and physicality. And he just- Except the movie's good. There's a lot I like about the Revenant, but but that's the thing is like hey, look, it, I'm never gonna pass up a chance to talk sure. about how much I hate the Revenant. Um, and that's the thing is like I, you know, I, I don't necessarily, you know, I, I don't think I would have given DiCaprio like the the Oscar for the Revenant, but he definitely like him and I'd say like a um, like Russell Crowe and Gladiator, or even going back as far as to like. Uh, Gene Hackman in The French Connection. Like, those are all three, mm. like, best actor winning performances. And it's like, there's not a lot of, like, them sitting and talking about, like, what motivates them. They just act and they just do and they just throw themselves into everything. This is that, except those are action movies and, like, thrillers and you're, the, the characters yeah. are in danger. Elvis is never in danger. And yet, the level of intensity, but passion, true passion, like, you, you get the sense that Elvis and Austin Butler are just feeding off of the energy of the audience and it's just and it's just like making them just grow on stage and it is so invigorating to see like it's and it does what I think a good biopic does which is like I love watching Austin Butler he's doing amazing things with his voice with his body uh, but it also makes me want to go and listen to Elvis you know what I mean Um, and what I also think is so wonderful is that the, and, and some people view this as, as a negative and I understand why you don't know much more about Elvis at the end than, uh, than at the end that you do that you don't at the beginning pardon mm-hmm. me right? and on one hand it's like well you know it's like I already kind of knew everything here it's like yeah but that's okay because we're not we're not trying to explain Elvis we're trying to show Elvis we're trying you're we're trying to make you experience Elvis and that includes his mystique the idea that when you get to a certain point you are the image and the real person is truly unknowable especially to somebody on the outside which you as the viewer will always be on that note I would compare it and I do in my review to Lawrence of Arabia Mm. I would also (laughs) throw public enemies in there yeah, that's what I was thinking you know, of when you were talking about like not getting to know him. Yeah. But, yeah. They throw in a couple of things here and there just to give you some tidbits, but they let a lot of stuff go unsaid and unspoken, and I don't think that is a mistake. And then, of course, at the core of the whole thing, I think it's a very, a very effective movie about the nature of show business, the symbiotic nature of show and business. Show being Elvis, business being Colonel Tom Parker, mm-hmm. and just how parasitic he is that he just sucks he just drains the life out of out of elvis but there would be no elvis if it weren't for tom parker corrupt and horrendous as he was and so it's just that really complicated relationship the film is just doing so much and it's doing it with such energy and such passion and i would not describe the film as emotional but i got emotional as i was watching it Mm. because and it's so rare for that to happen that just the sheer energy, just the sheer life and exuberance of it got me emotional. And it's the, it's one of those things like between like that and 
even something like like the new Doctor Strange, which obviously, you know, I, I liked more than you. But there's a lot of Sam Raimi in there. Not as much as we as there could have been, yeah. but more than I ever expected, given what he's working with. And so I like I watch this and I watch that and I just think like, damn, like and I remember people saying this about uh, ambulance as well. Mm. This idea, it's like, you know, e- even the misfires by a real auteur doing something is so much more interesting than just these yeah. middle of the road, watchable, vaguely enjoyable committee bland studio movies. And I watch this and like, yes, this is the kind of movie that could actually make people angry that some critics are not going to like. And I'll take that. But other people like myself will love it. And, you know, I, I I have a friend who passed away many years ago. His name was Willie. And he was a big Elvis guy. Loved Elvis. They played at his funeral. And my first thought was like, fuck. <laughs> it's like, I wish Willie was still here because I want him to see this. So, I settled for second best. I messaged friend of the show, Mike Schmidt, who's also a big Elvis guy. And I said, you need to see this movie. You might hate it, but I need to know what you think. <laughs> and so, um, and uh, it's just that kind of movie. And like, it's two hours and 40 minutes long. I felt every fucking minute of Jurassic World Dominion. <laughs> and that's about 10 minutes uh, uh, shorter. This thing flew by. I'm eager to see it again. And I realize I'm probably overselling it. It is entirely possible, similar to Public Enemies, it's entirely possible that someone could listen to this amount of passion that I have, go see the movie and be like, I'm not getting any of this. That's absolutely possible and I don't blame you for it. But man, for me, it worked. I was so happy I saw it. Man, I am can't recommend it highly enough. 